today on Ag News Daily. When we were negotiating uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, our economists valued the impact to uh, U.S. trade to be around $4.5 billion. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here. We've got the full Ag News Daily team on deck today. It is Thursday, June 28th. I'm joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you? Pretty good, Mike. How about you? Not too bad. And back from Kansas City, back from the I Am Farmer conference, we have Hannah Pagel with us. How's it going, you guys? Good. good. Hannah. Hannah, how was your conference? It was really good. Uh, the conference, I learned a lot. I met some wonderful farm hers. Um, got to hear from some really inspiring young ladies. And I don't know, it was it was a really good experience overall. So give us the, the top two things. What, as you look ahead in your you know life and future and agriculture, what top two things did you take away that, uh, you know, you want to be sure you remember going forward? Well, for starters, the, the conference kind of, to, in my opinion, kind of focused more on that work to like home life balance and how, um, you know, you can be an entrepreneur, you can still have a full time job and you can make it work. You just have to prioritize and stuff like that. So and I have some like projects in mind of things that I've been always wanting to do. And so it kind of was just kind of like, OK, like, let's go. Let's get working on those things. Like, let's get a game plan. And then. The other part that I really enjoyed was uh, they had a public policy panel. And so they kind of just talked a little bit on trade and the farm bill. And it was just very interesting to hear some of the concerns that some of the ladies had out in the audience and what they were concerned about and how um, just what's going on in Washington and how that's going to impact their operations. So it was a good mix of policy and work-life balance and then we also got to tour some farms on Monday and that's where the the sheep dairy farm that we had the interview on yesterday and I've never heard of a a sheep dairy (laughs) farming operation before so I thought that was really cool just to kind of see how that all worked and whatnot. What were some of the concerns that women in the audience had about some of the trade stuff? Anything that stuck out to you? One um, one lady talked a little bit on free trade versus fair trade and how, you know, there's a lot of, like, negative connotation around Trump and his decisions to put these tariffs on, but her operation has actually found that um, they're, they're profiting from these tariffs, which I found kind of interesting. Um, and then they kind of just talked a little bit how in the short run it is hurting farmers, but they're hoping that they're hoping put quotes around that in the mm-hmm. long run, it's going to um, overall like be a, a good impact. And so um, that was one of the concerns that the lady was just talking about. I think it was more of a statement she was trying to make uh, to put faith in our president, I guess. And then there was a uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, did she say what kind of operation she and her family had? I believe if she was a Nebraska farmer, uh, row crop, corn and soybeans. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, and then there was just a lot of talk on like some programs and um, how like young farmer programs and financing them with like, you know, there's some requirements that in order to fill out this application, like you have to get a loan, but like loan officers aren't able to do that just underneath the stipulations with the, the, 
the program, or there's something along those lines. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly what this young lady was talking about, but then also some like healthcare um, initiatives that were um, in place. There were some nurses in in the audience as well, so it was oh. a good mix. Interesting. Yeah, and those nurses, they're looking at health care on both sides. they got to pay for health insurance, and then they're, you know, dealing with mm-hmm. insurance and blah, all that stuff and blood and blah, blah. God bless nurses. Couldn't do it, <laughs> that's for sure. Oh, gosh. Well, that is good. Hannah, glad you had a good trip. Those conferences are always well put together. The whole team at FarmHerd does a great job on making things work and bring more, you know, interesting content to folks. And uh, Delaney, you're Mm -hmm. a FarmHerd, but you didn't go. You're up here. You're working (laughs) hard. What's jumping out at you in the world of ag news? I like that segue. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, I can BS with the best of them. Well, let's see. Yeah, you definitely can. Um, speaking of BS, it seems like there's lots of BS going on in Washington with the Farm Bill discussions. We've had some, I guess we'll call it stalling by Senator Marco Rubio. Um, as leaders are pushing for a vote this week, he apparently threw up a new roadblock yesterday over a provision that would promote ag trade with Cuba. And basically there's some proposal or a bill that would propose to trade with them and he wants to discontinue that and discontinue allowing the USDA to fund foreign market development in countries like Cuba and spend money with Cuba. Um, and so we're going to see if that, I don't know, I don't know what will happen with that, but uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell filed cloture, which will allow a vote as early as Friday morning. Yeah. And, you know, that Marco Rubio comment I thought was interesting. I've got a quote Isn't from him here. Is he Cuban? Uh, his family, I think his parents I, that's might I be, or his dad for yeah. sure. Or is he Puerto Rican? I don't know. He's one of the two. I can't remember which. Uh, but, you know, of course, there's a very, very strong, you know, Cuban, uh, uh, not exile, but uh, expatriate, I guess. Yeah. Uh, a former Cuban, you know, group in Miami. And so what he said was, quote, I'm not going to object to the ability for American farmers to market our products to a market. In the end, it's food. What I do think we should not allow, however, is the ability to spend taxpayer money in properties and other places on the island that are owned and controlled by the Cuban military, which basically just funnels the money back to uh, the Castros or whoever's in charge. So that Mm -hmm. was that was an interesting objective that kind of came out of left field uh, as far as. I had heard when we were talking yeah. potential amendments and conversations on the farm bill, that one just, whoa, mm-hmm. I whoa, agree. there it was. So I agree. correct me if I'm like wrong here, but as of right now, so we have a trade embargo with Cuba except for agriculture goods. Is is that what it is? Yes, it, except for agriculture and listeners, if I'm forgetting anything or misleading, correct me. But I think we can also ship some limited medical supplies, basically things that keep people alive. Okay. And Food and medicine and maybe a few other things. So he, he's just trying to get rid of that, correct? He just doesn't want – so like right now if I'm the American uh, corn board, I can go down there on my own dime and or you know go through Canada or Mexico and talk to Cuba and convince them to buy corn. He doesn't want USDA money going into Cuba – trying to convince them to buy corn or soybeans. He doesn't think taxpayers' money should go towards it. If an American wants to go, he's fine with that. American farmers sell your stuff, but just we're not going to spend tax money to do it. Okay, I, I'm following now. But At least 
that's how I read it. So there will be, hopefully will be a vote tomorrow, but isn't, isn't like Congress going to be recessed soon for 4th of mm-hmm. July? Yeah. And um, I was reading something else that said over the last year, they've only ever voted or held a full session on a Friday, like five times. So wow. probably not looking like it's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And then they leave for the July 4th recess. So really it's probably going to be at least another week, I would say, before a final vote occurs. Interesting. And, you know, there was another uh, interesting proposal that was brought forward that I was curious about. And this one came from Bob Corker. Mm-hmm. And what Senator Corker was going to try to do, he was going to use the farm bill to put an amendment on that would restrict Trump's uh, President Trump's ability to impose tariffs on the basis of national security. Basically, he was going to require Congress to sign off. On these Mm -hmm. Section 232 tariffs like steel and aluminum and everything we've done with China and now the 20 percent on vehicles was all done under 232. Um, And in order for this to be added to the farm bill, the vote had to be unanimous. And Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio blocked it. And so that killed it. And I think I think his argument was, well, if this made it into the farm bill, then President Trump would just veto the bill and we'd have to start over. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Huh. Well, there we go. So really not a whole lot has changed. Effectively, it's the same farm bill coming out of the Senate as went into it. Yes. 2014 farm bill part two. Yep. That's what it sounds like. All right. Well, we've got uh, some other news, of course, as we always seem to have. And this one I thought was interesting. Um, Chicks hatching in the U.S. this week has tied or almost tied the highest ever number of chicks hatching in history. 188 some thousand sets of chicks were hatched this week. It is a huge, huge number, the top in five years and, and almost tying that top from 2008. Good news for domestic feed demand, both corn and soybean meal right there as those uh, little chickies grow up to become delicious, delicious, you know, Additions to a salad chicken strips. or chicken strips. Yeah. How did you find that fact? <laughs> this one comes from uh, Robert Brown. He runs Robert Brown Inc., which is a uh, meat industry tracking firm. And you can find him on oh. Twitter at Robert A. Brown. That's just kind of some random news, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it jumped out. It was like one of those things. I mean, he's got a chart of it up there on his Twitter, and it is very, very cool. It's just like a straight-up line hmm. of chicks hatching once we got over the uh, avian influenza epidemic. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, absolutely. So what else is jumping out at you guys? Well, Justice Anthony Kennedy is stepping down from the Supreme Court, and he was pretty instrumental in the debate between the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers, which, for the waters of the U.S., um, he kind of helped define what wetlands and ditches and streams should be regulated with WOTUS back in 2005. So this seat opens up, so that means that uh, does the president appoint somebody? to fill that spot then or yep i think so yep president appoints and then the senate confirms okay and what's interesting up until the last or second to last year of obama's presidency you had to have 60 votes or more to confirm a set of uh, whatever uh, justice to the supreme court or to any of the federal courts and that rule was eliminated um back in 2013 or whatever and um I, I don't know what day it is. I can hardly figure out what year it is. But <laughs> so now the Republicans 
all you all you need is 51 votes and you can confirm a justice to the Supreme Court. So we'll see what names get thrown around here in the next, I suppose, couple of weeks. Is this the first one that President Trump has will be appointing or second? I can't remember. Second. I think he appointed uh, Neil Gorsuch earlier this year. Okay. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm sure as you look at, at waters of the U.S., as you look at, you know, labeling requirements, all these different things that eventually could have a, a stand on the Supreme Court, whoever that justice is certainly matters. Yeah, and he's likely going to pick a Republican, so. Well, yeah, yeah, he will. He's, he's published a list out there of names. We just don't know which name he's going to draw from the list and whether or not they'll, you know, Senate will sign off on him. Mm-hmm. Right. How about you, Delaney? Anything else jumping out at you? Uh, yeah, just a couple other quick pieces of news, both beef related, actually. Um, Today, China has announced that it will lift its import ban on UK beef, which is the first time that beef will be allowed into the country from Great Britain since 1996 when they had a mad cow outbreak. Then the second little piece of news I had, I just thought it was interesting. Um, A man from Wichita Falls, Texas, has been arrested for theft charges and defaulting on a loan of like $5.8 million. Um, and he apparently did this in 10 counties in both Texas and He's a Oklahoma. cattle trader, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were due for another one of those. I don't know if he's a cattle trader. I think he, I think he raised cattle. Oh, okay. He wasn't, he wasn't buying and selling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Well, that's uh, yeah, that happens. Yeah, he you know, every every industry has our bad eggs. Yeah. It was like the what was it, Clive and Bundy case? Well, Bundy was a little different. He was okay. uh, raising cattle without paying for his federal permits. Allegedly, oh. he was uh, subsequently, allegedly, right. I, I believe, right, found innocent. Yeah. Um, interesting. Well, actually, since we're talking guilt and innocence, Delaney, great segue. <laughs> Iowa's senior Senator Charles Grassley made some interesting comments yesterday about Scott Pruitt and his handling of the small refinery waivers at EPA. Mm. Uh, Grassley went on and said, you know, we need to go ahead and, and reallocate these waived obligations, you know, blah, 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 as you'd expect from a corn state senator. But then he went on and for the first time, really, since he's been talking EPA, he tied in his chairmanship of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And he said, as chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, I also have concerns that EPA may be ignoring or abusing the Administrative Procedure Act as they continue to grant waivers in secret and refuse to respond to congressional oversight and public information requests regarding the practice. The public's business ought to be public, and hiding behind bureaucracy and poor excuses isn't going to work. These are the heaviest shots fired against Administrator Scott Pruitt with regard to, uh, you know, the small refinery waiver exemption issue. And I wonder if this might be truly the beginning of the end for his administratorship there at EPA. Mm, I don't know. We keep saying that, but nothing's happened yet. Right, right, absolutely. Um, before we get to Hannah's interview and the markets, Delaney, don't we have another update from over on the other side of the Pacific? Yes, we do. We have Monty James sent me in a sent me a report the other day. He had the chance to talk to a lady about basically Chinese consumers and their thoughts about all the trade stuff, their thought about the U.S. So let's kick it off to Monty. Okay, interview with Helen. Helen, how do you say your name in Chinese? Yuan Yi. 
It's very beautiful. Uh, we've enjoyed our time here. Helen, uh, since in my time here in China, I've noticed that people are extremely happy. Uh, considering there's been some rough times in China in the past, why are people so happy in such a positive attitude? I just think just because from the hard time, and then we've been going through the hard time, then comes the happy life, happy time. So every Chinese people will just treasure the happy time today. And then like uh, the farmers, those people who've been going through the hard time, they will say every day is like a Chinese New Year's Day for them. Every day they're happy. Now, obviously, there's some uh, turmoil going on with the tariff issue with the United States and China. Uh, in my time here in China, everybody has been very nice to me, very respectful. Uh, how do the Chinese people feel about the issues going on with the tariff in the United States and Donald Trump? I think Chinese people were just more happy with our own life. We don't really care about what happened in the world. We just say, okay, and then you have a nice job to do, and then you have nice pay, the nice food, and then... They got the money for traveling. Then I think this is they will, of course they will choose to go to the right, safe, the safe place for traveling. Absolutely, absolutely. And I've noticed uh, in the media and the newspapers, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of write-ups about the issues between the United States and China. But I don't detect that in the people themselves. They seem happy. We've been treated really nice. It's not something people think about every day like we do in the United States. This isn't really bugging the people of China, is it? Uh, China, Chinese people, we should say from our bottom heart, we are really warm-hearted, and then we really just say deeply welcome to people from all over the world for all the issues about what happened to U.S. in the world. I think for commoners, well, for the ordinary people, we don't really care about it. We just care about the happy life. What are we gonna, you, what are you gonna eat for tomorrow? What are we going to go for your holidays? Now, you told me you grew up in a village, in a farming area. Uh, tell me how the, you've seen things change in the rural areas over the last, uh, in the course of your life. It's changed a lot, as you told us on our bus tour. Yes, uh, as a farmer girl, I've been growing up in a village. I really, really seen the change. Uh, in my childhood time, the life was very, very hard, to be honest. Even like my childhood, everything on the table is all in green vegetables. So as a kid, everybody wished to eat more like meat. And then they, with the things change, with the policy open to the world, more people had opportunities to work in the city, to work in different restaurants or hotels or factories. They can have an extra job in the city, then they will post the money back to the village. And then in the village, they're going to build their own houses bigger and new. And then they will buy new buses, new cars, or new tractors. So the farmer's life is absolutely a huge change in China. We really thank you. You've been such a gracious hostess, and we love everything about the people in the country itself, and we hope things get better for both countries. Thank you. Well, interesting discussions there, and we're going to continue hopefully getting some more content from Monty. Uh, about, I, I mean, I assume trade is probably the main issue that a lot of folks there are talking about. Yeah, I would. I would think so. I mean, given all the press it's been getting here and uh, given how important China is in global trade, the U.S. and China, you know, kind of the yin and the yang of the global trade system mm -hmm. and trade is impacting markets. It continues to. Delaney, what do you think? Should we get right into what the numbers are today? Let's do it. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Get in touch with them to, ha to help put a marketing plan in place. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. Let's take a look at the markets here. Corn, beans, and wheat all down on the day. The July corn contract down 7.5 cents at 3.45 even. The December down 7.25, closed at 3.66 even. In soybeans, July was off 6.25 cents at 8.61.25, no 
November new crop down five and a half to finish the day at 883 and a half. And in wheat, the July contract was unchanged in Chicago wheat, closed at 479 and a half. September was down five cents even to finish at 483 and a half. Looking over on the livestock side, we've got green on the screen today. In live cattle, the June contract was up a dollar 17.50 at 108.20. August up a dollar even, closed at 103.72.50. In feeder cattle, the August contract up a dollar 05 at 146.82.50. The September up 90 cents, closed at 147.37.50. In lean hogs, the June contract, excuse me, July contract up 90 cents at 81.12.50. The August up 67 and a half to finish the day at 75.72.50. And of course, another look at the dairy market. Class 3 milk June up 2 cents at 15.25. The July closed higher by 6 cents, finished the day at 14.35. Before we get to Hannah's interesting discussion at the FarmHer conference, let's hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. Joining us from Latham High Tech Seeds this week is Phil Long, the agronomic specialist. And Phil, we've been hearing reports throughout the Corn Belt of ample rainfall events. We're starting to see some ponding. Some of the beans are starting to change colors. What should growers be looking for and what should we be doing? Seems like this spring has been an excellent time to, to spot some of those those different disorders out there in soybeans and especially uh, iron deficiency chlorosis. Uh, it's one of them that's, that's showing up. Uh, but, but remember, that's that's on the top of the plants. That's you're going to see that yellowing, that intervenal chlorosis yellowing in the top of the plant, uh, not necessarily throughout the plant. Um, that's going to be kind of your key factors in, in in differentiating between a flooding issue and, and whether it's iron deficiency chlorosis. What should I do if I am noticing iron deficiency chlorosis? Sure. So, uh, you know, typically it shows up in, in, in those saturated areas, those areas of, of high pH is really what causes it. Um, but, but a lot of it's also caused by just poor root growth. So that's a combination of factors, obviously. Uh, but it, it's a hard one to... Uh, to get to get rid of, uh, especially if you have a high pH scenario. So the, the best things are picking uh, genetics uh, that are favorable for that. We have our, our ironclad ironclad soybeans are are known for having high IDC tolerance uh, built into the, the genetics. Um, that's the best method around it. Um, other than that, spraying typically doesn't show a yield advantage at the end of the season. It's just too diluted. Um, you may see a response in greenness, but uh, typically your best bet is genetics, maybe an in the furrow if you want to try it with a with a better defensive genetics is, is typically the best route to go. All right, folks, and if you want to get those genetics to work on your farm next year, call 877-GO-LATHAM or visit their website at LathamSeeds.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Hannah Pagel, and I am at the I Am Farm Her Conference, and I had the honor of listening to Julie, Julianna Potts from the American Farm Bureau. She's the Executive Vice President with the American Farm Bureau, and she was discussing a lot of topics with policy and trade and Juliana, thank you for getting us on or getting us or coming on the podcast with us today. Sure, happy to do it. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. So, first off, I was just wondering if you could just give us some insight. We talked a lot about policy, a lot about trade and the the farm bill that was going on in DC. What can you just give us some insight as to the big picture? What is all going on in DC right now? We just had a fantastic uh, panel discussion here at the Farmer Conference, and um, we we hit on 
kind of all of those big picture issues that are impacting uh, farmers across the country right now, trade being at the top of everyone's list, uh, farm bill, and then there are votes on immigration bills that include or have included, they don't anymore, um, a addressing farm labor uh, concerns uh, that impact our farmers and ranchers across the country. So lots of activity um, in Washington right now on all of those issues. Particularly on trade, there's a, a lot of concern among um, many farmers across the country that uh, due to uh, tariffs being put on and retaliation, um, uh, the renegotiation of the NAFTA agreement, but but no conclusion to that, um, that, you know, we, we are in for some impacts uh, on the farm uh, to commodity prices and, and other things that are going to be um, very problematic uh, for our industry. I think that's the short-term anxiety. The longer-term anxiety is that if we lose these markets, uh, say in China, um, to other countries, say Brazil, or um, we, we lose markets in Mexico to the EU or to Canada, we might not get them back. And that kind of long-term um, impact to farmers in the U.S. Is, is causing a lot of anxiety right now. And for those farmers who, in the short run or the long term, down the road, what advice do you have for them right now just with these uh, unknowns that we're kind of going off into charted waters here? I think it's really important for folks who are at the grassroots level on their operations, who are seeing the impacts, to look for opportunities within their organizations to speak up and uh, make their impacts known. Um, if you're being hurt by uh, policies that are, uh, and, and you have you know, a lot of uncertainties that is creating, that is roiling the markets, um, but you're actually seeing, you know, prices drop and, and, and making decisions on that basis. Um, I'd say find an organization, find a, a commodity organization, or there are numerous coalitions. Uh, Farmers for Free Trade is one. Uh, go to a website and tell your story. Uh, that's one opportunity to say, you know, agriculture is at the tip of the spear in the tit-for-tat trade war, and we need to be sure we make um, our uh, voices heard uh, in Washington, D.C. And you discussed a little bit on, you know, I've heard this, this phrase, you know, free trade versus fair trade. And I know a lot of our farmers, my dad included, have kind of discussed about this in our household. Mm -hmm. Give us the lowdown on the two and why those two things are important with this trade agreement. Free trade has uh, traditionally uh, been, you know, reducing tariffs, uh, zeroing out tariffs and allowing uh, trade back and forth uh, between countries that agree to it that has opened markets up on both sides. And for agriculture, this has been uh, typically a very, very good thing, very beneficial. Um, I mentioned when we were talking um, on the panel that, uh, you know, trade has grown astronomically between Canada and Mexico and the U.S., um, and those markets for U.S. producers have, have grown uh, tremendously since NAFTA was uh, first uh, agreed to in 1993, 475 percent or something like that. Um, 
we have opportunities uh, when we engage uh, honestly with uh, with uh, and, and in a trustworthy manner with trading partners to continue to grow those markets. When we were negotiating uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, our economists uh, valued the impact to um, uh, U.S. trade to be around four and a half billion dollars. That's huge. And then we pulled out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but then the notion of fair trade um, has has more to do with the big the big picture. Um, are we being treated fairly in all segments uh, by our trading partners? And um, it doesn't to me it doesn't mean that there isn't a, a, a trade deficit. Trade deficits can can be okay as long as um, people aren't stealing technology from from one another, and and as long as um, uh, trading partners are able to trust in each other's um, uh, uh, markets and, and, and ability to, to work together. And those relationships and those, um, uh, that trust is built over years mm-hmm. and not just uh, overnight. And in the panel, you discussed a little bit about a survey that American Farm Bureau did. Can you t- talk a little bit more about this survey? Sure. Um, we have been looking at uh, how to uh, educate our, our own uh, constituents, folks in agriculture, people on farms, people in rural communities, um, for years about, about trade. Um, I know when we were um, out advocating on behalf of the Trans-Pacific Partnership before, you know, it's, it's still uh, a little bit of a, of a, a distant um, relationship for some members of our agricultural community to what a trade agreement could do or not do for the, for the, the, the trade economy. Um, in 2016, during the election, um, free trade and, and notions about uh, agricultural trade um, began to be questioned, and, uh, and I think there was a sense that um, free trade was not uh, a good thing for the United States. Um, we have done some survey work within farm, farming and ranching communities as well as in rural communities where we still see a gap to, to close. Not that people are against free trade uh, or for it, but an indication that they don't know whether a trade war would hurt them or not or whether free trade is a good thing or a bad thing. So I think we, we still, in, in organizations like Farm Bureau, have a good bit of work to do to help um, our very constituents understand that um, you know, the sort of proverbial rising tide raises all boats, that we, we have a very good story to tell in agriculture about NAFTA and about the potential of a Trans-Pacific Partnership and about uh, finishing um, you know, some of these bilaterals that I think we would love to, to see this um, this this administration initiate and we just have to be continuing to tell that story because it's really really important for agriculture that we open new markets around the world for our products definitely and if so if a farmer or if a consumer has wants to know more information about these different trade agreements because you said education is key where where do they where should they go or where, who should they look to to get that information so that way they can help understand what it all is 
certainly um, you could start with the American Farm Bureau Federation website. Um, there are also uh, organizations I'll point to, Farmers for Free Trade, Americans for Farmers and Families. Um, there's a good bit of information with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce um, that includes not just uh, agricultural businesses but the business community, um, and small business and large business overall, um, the uh, business roundtable. All of these organizations are going to have a lot of information available, um, uh, analysis, economic analysis, as well as um, uh, talking points uh, to advocate on behalf of uh, free trade and, um, and the, the environment that we want to see to continue to be able to, to market our, our products around the world. I will also point to um, a product for, from our economists at American Farm Bureau called Market Intel. And you can find a subscription, free subscription for Market Intel on the American Farm Bureau website. It is a uh, about twice weekly uh, analysis of what's going on in agriculture. And lately, with all the activity and trade, we have been doing a lot of analysis of what's happening with our markets as a, as a, as a uh, result of um, all the activity on the trade front. So um, sign up for Market Intel. Awesome. Well, Juliana Potts, thank you so much for your time today and giving us some insight about trade and the agriculture industry. We sure appreciate your advocacy um, insight and just your drive to keep supporting the agriculture industry. Thank you so much, Anna. Appreciate it. And again, that was Juliana Potts with the American Farm Bureau Federation. So, Mike Delaney, what'd you think? Talking trade, talking policy, a lot's going on. We have a lot of concerned farmers out there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, American Farm Bureau, of course, you know, a lot of a lot of folks are calling them directly to make their concerns known. I've seen them active on uh, social media here over the past couple days. And, yeah, I mean, this is something the industry has to be aware of because it certainly affects our bottom line. That's for, yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, let's see. Ladies, we'll be back tomorrow. I think we have the full team again. We're going to cover some fun stuff, maybe some interesting stuff. We'll see what develops overnight from Trump's Twitter feed. In the meantime, if folks have thoughts about uh, anything, uh, Hannah, where can they reach us? Folks, you could head to our website, www.agnewsdaily.com, or you can check us out on social media, Facebook, or Twitter. We're always looking to hear from you, so leave a comment, give us a like. We'd love to hear from you. And with that, Mike and Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's, Let's let, let them go. go.